well, so good to be here with you guys. And um, hope you brought your shouting shoes because I've got some OMG level good news for you guys. I tell you what, man, it just the, the gospel means good news. And so if what you're hearing isn't good news, it might not be the gospel. And so, uh, so good to be here with some friends. Justin, uh, one of my favorite marketing geniuses, Miller here, Larry and Amanda. So good to see you guys. And so, all right, let's jump in here. Actually, during worship, I got some words for you guys. So can I, you guys mind if I give them to you? They're good words. <laughs> uh, I, I just, it's some, they're just real simple, but uh, there's more happening here than you know. And uh, what, what's happening here is God's growing big people. And you can use a hammer and a chisel. Think of a hammer and a chisel. You can use people to carve out a great church, but what you guys are doing, you're flipping it, using church to carve out a great people. You guys are, uh, you guys are rising up and have regional impact, and you're going to influence nations. Entrepreneurship is going to explode. I see a lot of things happening with broken girls, uh, just coming just from broken uh, backgrounds, and uh, even girls coming out of human trafficking. I've seen this being a place of where they're going to get restoration and healing. Um, I heard the Lord say, this is a house of presence, and he loves that you're not afraid to take your time. Uh, get ready for new believers, and I feel like there's going to be a real revelation and anointing to break addictions off of people in this house, so. All right, that sounds like good news. So, I don't know, about 15, 20 years ago, I was going through what I call my Pharisee gym stage, and so, uh, you know, I was out of seminary, and I... Uh, I like to debate people and was like really proud and all this, just, you know, I think I probably would have been diagnosed with obnoxious personality disorder, but that's not really a diagnosis, but it should have been back then anyway. And so I just, you know, just kind of, I'm, I'm trying to press in for healing and I just, you know, just wasn't really understanding how healing worked. And so I remember, so I don't know, this is like maybe late 90s, I don't know. And so I had this neighbor named Kurt, and so Kurt lived next door, and so he worked for the United Way, and Kurt got this super bad ear infection, so bad he couldn't hear out of this ear. And so, the, uh, <laughs> so this girl at work, she comes into his office, she's talking, and he can't hear because his ear's so clogged, and uh, she's an atheist. And so, uh, so Kurt's like, oh, I'm so sorry, and my ear's clogged. She says, oh, your ear's clogged. Why don't you pray to your God and have him heal you? I'm like, oh, I like this lady. <clears throat> And so he comes home and he's like, Jim, you know, we're next door neighbors. He's like, Jim, this lady threw down the gauntlet at work. You're not going to believe it. You know, I, he told me this story and he's like, she said, I'm supposed to get healed. He's like, I know you're pressing in for healing. I said, Kurt, hold on a second. I have not prayed enough today. I want you to notice where all the focus was going here. I have not, uh, I, I need to fast and I need to pray some more. And I said, so tomorrow let's meet in the driveway. I'll fast and pray all day and uh, then we will meet. If you notice where I'm putting all my confidence in my ability to do something, you can see where this is going. And so uh, I'm, this is the, it sounds like I'm exaggerating. This is the honest to God truth of how this story went. I woke up the next morning, forgot about Kurt and ate breakfast. <clears throat> no, it gets worse. I had two lunch appointments that day. No lie. I ate lunch at both appointments. On the second appointment, I not only ate lunch, but I ate dessert. So I've had three meals in about six, seven hours, you know. And uh, so I go home, and uh, as I'm pulling in the driveway, I see Kurt's beaming face. And I prayed this prayer, oh, no. My shoulders were slumped, and my head was hung, and I walked towards Kurt. And I'm trying to think of how can I get out of this with some dignity. And I said, Kurt, you know, I have not prayed enough. I didn't fast today. I ate like a pig. 
And he says, that's okay, let's just pray. And so praying nothing happens, praying nothing happens. And now it's kind of getting dinner time. It's time for a fourth meal. You know, I'm getting hungry again. So I'm like, how can I get out? So I'm going to give him some stupid thing. You know, God is sovereign, which he is. God is sovereign, but it doesn't mean that everything happens according to his will. He's not willing that any should perish, but some are still perishing, right? And so he sovereignly chose to give us authority over every sickness, every disease. But anyway, so at this time, I didn't know that. So I'm, I'm going to give him, oh, God is sovereign. His ways are higher. Who do can know his ways? And as I'm trying to get out of this prayer, uh, you know, out of this situation, uh, I, feel, I feel like the Lord says, am I going to heal Kurt because you're good or because I'm good? And I, the only way I can describe it was like somebody flicked me in the nose. It was like, whoa. And it was like the fog lifted. And I said, Kurt, let's pray one more time. And so we prayed, and uh, his ear popped, and the, all the infection ran out physically right, right on his ear. And so I, I kind of began this journey of, Lord, like, I, I understand, like, it's not supposed to be all about me, but I've been making it all about me. And so the, the biblical word for this is righteousness. And so I'm not, I'm not here to totally talk about healing, but I imagine some people are going to get healed today. Um, that's what happens when you talk about Jesus sometimes. And so uh, get your eyes on him, all the good stuff happens. So God, God will not withhold healing from you because you're bad. He will not heal you because you're good. He'll heal you because of what Jesus did on the cross. You can insert whatever blessing Jesus paid for in there. Uh, God will not uh, prosper you because you're good. He will not withhold prosperity because you're bad. He's going to prosper you because of what Jesus did. Now, there's, I'm, not, I'm not saying there's not some things we need to do to, to, uh, to partner with that in faith. You know, sometimes it's giving. Sometimes it's being a good steward with what we have. Sometimes it's uh, God said he blessed the work of your hand, not your butt on the couch. Okay, so don't hear what I'm not saying on some of this stuff. But let me read you Romans chapter 5, verse 17. This is powerful. Because, for if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. So he's talking about Adam. Adam sinned, one man sinned, and everybody took the consequence of it. There you go. Get this? How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through this one man, Jesus Christ? The word reign in this passage is the word used the way that a king would reign over Rome, to reign over a region. The idea is he's got resources and authority over every situation. Let me read you Romans 5, 18 and 19. Uh, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. Everybody say boo, boo. I'm so glad it was Adam because I probably would have been me if I was there. <laughs> in like, like 6,000 years of the human race and then Jim blows it. So I'm glad Adam just went and just got it out of the way here. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Verse 19, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. I'm going to ask you a question. Do not answer the question, okay, because people always get it wrong and I want you to be embarrassed, okay? But every time I do this, people still say it. Anyway, so are you a sinner because you sin or are you a sinner because you were born a sinner. You're like, Jim, this is theological hair splitting. It's actually not. Um, here's what it says. It says you're a sinner because you were born with a sin nature, and you acted out of that. Here's why that's important. A sinful act does not make you a sinner. Neither does a righteous act make you righteous. You are righteous because you have a new nature. God is not dealing with you based on your behavior. He's dealing with you based on whether you are in Adam or in Christ. You guys have to get this. It's the only two options for the human race. 
And so you, even if you're in Christ, what some people do is they try to get God to uh, bless them, to pry open his hands, to answer because of their righteous deeds. You're going back under the old covenant. God is not, de- if you're born again, God is not uh, dealing with you based on your behavior. He's dealing with you based on Jesus' behavior. It's about to get good. How does Siri come up here? What happened here? Okay. All right. The best illustration of righteousness, and I know, is from David and Goliath in the Old Testament. This is just awesome. So they had an ancient warring technique that they had back then where one person could stand for all. You remember? And so David, you know, uh, so, you know, Saul and his army, they're out there. And Goliath, he's, you know, he's nine feet tall. He's got weapons in proportion to it. And they wore, they had this highly polished bronze armor and they had like these headdresses on like the Vikings. I'm saying they just look larger than life. And at sun up and sundown, you know, he would go uh, to the top of this thing and there was a valley in between. And uh, right when the sun would probably just be beaming on this and he would go and he would challenge them. And here's what he would say. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why don't you come up and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. I want you to see what's happening here. One person, it can stand for all. But if I overcome him and kill him, we will become your servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Oh, no, you didn't. (laughs) Give me a man and let us fight each other. And so you, you can see what he's saying. He's saying, hey, why have this widespread ma- spread massacre? You take a champion, I'll take a champion. Whoever champions win, the other people will become the servants of those people. And so, um, so you know, it's like, you know, so Goliath, Goliath does this week, day after day, week after week. He's, he's going and no one's answering the challenge. And so uh, David's father, Jesse, you know, David was too young for the draft for the military. And so his dad, they didn't have CNN. So he's like, hey, go check on the boys. Take them some cheese sandwiches, see what's going on. So David goes there just in time to see Goliath issuing this challenge. And he's thinking, this is probably the first day. Like, who's going to go do this? And so um, Saul's trying to sweeten the pot, King Saul, if you remember this. And so he's like, um, anybody who fights Goliath and wins doesn't have to pay taxes. People are like, uh, dead men don't pay taxes. Like, like, that's not that great of a bargain. And then, um, and then he says, anyone who does it not only gets that, but gets to marry his daughter. And they're like, she ain't that good looking. Like, like, like we're not risking our lives for these prizes, you know. And so... Um, so, uh, so here, you know what happens with David. And so when David goes and he steps onto the battlefield, David is no longer just representing himself. He is now representing all of Israel. Because whatever happens to David happens to all of Israel, even though they're not going to lift a finger. And so as he picks up those five smooth stones, all of Israel figuratively could feel the weight of those five smooth stones because David was not just acting for them, he was acting as them. And whatever happened to David happened to all of Israel. And so as he goes against the giant, I love this, he runs and scoops him, and uh, he's dancing around Goliath, and Goliath begins mocking him. He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Goliath's mocking him, saying, what are you, uh, am I a dog that you're coming out with with sticks? Here's David's response. This is so good. Um, He says, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I have come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. He doesn't even have a sword. I love this confidence. He's got a slingshot. I'm going to cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. How you like me now? Okay, he didn't say that last part. But I think he was thinking it. 
So you know the story. And so there's, uh, and, you know, this Philistine, he's covered in armor, and there's only one little weakness in the whole thing. Right, right when the vi- where the visor meets, there was a little spot right there. It's kind of like that small weakness in the Death Star. Remember that? Where there was like that Luke, if he could fire his laser cannon into that two-meter thermal exhaust port, it would cause a change reaction and blow up the whole Death Star. Of course, Luke had been training. He used the bullseye womp rats and his T-16 back in his home planet of Tatooine. It's just like that. Do we have any Star Wars fans that's making sense to anybody? Okay, thank goodness. So as David's dancing around, all of Israel could feel the soil underneath their feet. And as he, as he swings the sling around, they could hear the swooshing by their ear because he was not just doing it for them. He was doing it as them. And uh, it's interesting, as the stone goes, hits that one weakness, uh, the giant falls. He takes the giant sword, hacks off his head, and as he hoists the head, all of Israel yells, we won, even though they didn't lift a finger. Why? Because David was their covenant representative. Whatever happened to him happened to all of Israel. When Jesus died, he was not dying for his sins. He was not just dying for you, he was dying as you. That's the picture in Romans uh, 6. It says, when he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. And we're reenacting this in a prophetic way with water baptism. You were buried with Christ through baptism, and you were raised to a newness of life. How did this happen? Because one could stand for all. And so you are not made righteous because of what your behavior is. You're made righteous because of what Jesus' behavior was. You know, all the offerings in the Old Testament, they uh, pointed to Jesus. So I need a brave volunteer, someone with a high threshold for pain. Justin, yeah, thank you. Come on up here. Let's give Justin a hand, just as by faith. So stand over here. So there's five different offerings in Leviticus. Uh, can you believe I'm actually using the word Leviticus on a Sunday morning here? So, and so uh, the, one of the offerings was the sin offering, and um, I'm going to describe that in just a second. I think we're familiar with the concept of the sin offering. They would have a perfect bull. Look at this strong bull. They have a perfect bull, and the bull was literally a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. And so here's what would happen. The person who had sin in their life, they would come, and they would transfer all of their imperfections to this perfect young bull. <clears throat> You're welcome. Single ladies. Anyway, and so um, they would transfer all of the sin to this, and so this animal was killed, and then the sinner walked away free. That's one picture of the cross, but I want you to get the burnt offering. It's actually reversed. So again, we have a perfect animal here, okay? And so the person who was sinful would lay their hands on him, but here's the picture. All of the perfections and delight and favor that the Father had for Jesus would come upon the sinner, and it said it would go up in the smoke and, prov- and pro- provide an atonement, a covering. So literally, all the perfections of Jesus come upon us, and we are now covered in it. And the Father delights in you as if you were Jesus himself. Amen. Let's give our uh, young bull a, a hand here. Thank you, Justin. All the delight. How, how much delight does, Jesus, does the Father have in Jesus? Okay. That has now come upon you because you've been made one with Christ. Well, hold on, Jim. What if I blow it? What if I blow it? A sinful act does not make you a sinner. It just means you have forgotten your identity. You forgot who you were. You, you died to sin. That's why he says, consider yourself dead to sin. You need, to, you need to recognize, you need to see yourself from this new position. How much favor does he have in Jesus? How much love does he have for Jesus? That has, in the, in the burnt offering, it went up as smoke and it came and it covered you. All the delight that the Father has for Jesus is now upon you. 
That's what it means to be in Christ. There's a mystical reality somehow when, uh, when uh, you saw the cross and you said, yes, Jesus, I'll take that. All of that instantaneously came available to you, and now we grow in our understanding of it and begin to live out of it. Righteousness is this biblical term. It refers to your relationship with the Father. It's the total condition of being right with God in every single way. Every single way. You are delighted in by God. And when you understand it, what did the Bible say? It will cause you to reign in life. And you'll receive an abundance of grace. Let me read you a couple of highlights from Romans 5 in the Passion Translation. God now declares us flawless in his eyes. That's verse 1. I think some of you need to meditate on that one. You're like, but Jim, my behavior is not flawless. Well, luckily, God's not dealing with you based on your behavior. He's dealing with you whether you're in one of two men who are covenant representatives in all of history. You're either in Adam. Well, yeah, he'll deal with you based on your behavior. Or you're in Christ. He'll deal with you based on Jesus' behavior. Now you understand why we can boldly come to the throne of works. No, 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 no. The throne of grace. What's grace means? I mean, Jesus paid for it before I was ever born. It was God's idea. You are guaranteed permanent access into this marvelous kindness. How, how, how long does that access last? Does it have an expiration date? Act now. Or it's permanent access. Oh, hold on, Jim. What if I have a bad thought? What if I, uh, I only tithe 9%? What if I only... <laughs> he has given us a perfect relationship with God. I'm just, I'm just reading you scripture. I'm not, I'm not trying to interpret anything. Through the blood of Jesus, he now declares over us, you are now righteous in my sight. I'm about to read something that's going to change some of your theology. You ready for this? And because of the sacrifice, and this is scripture, by the way, I'm just reading it. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. Well, hold on, Jim. You know, I thought the prophet said that, you know, God has just about had enough of us. And, you know, the, the stench of our sin has is, is reached his ears, and now he's going to smite San Francisco. <laughs> Jim, if God doesn't judge San Francisco, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. No, if he does judge San Francisco, he's going to have to apologize to Jesus. Amen. I'm not saying God is, not, is, is light on sin. It says that he has reconciled the entire world to himself. doesn't mean everybody's saved. It means from God's perspective, all the obstacles have been removed, and he's standing there in the picture of Luke 15 of the father scanning the horizon for his lost son to come home. He's waiting for them to say, yes, I didn't say everybody's saved. <clears throat> I said, but from God's perspective, all he has is, is ready to give them love. There will be an end of time where the, where, the, where the judgment books will be open, and God will have to deal with people based on how they've treated his son, how, they, how they've judged his son. But that is the last day. We're in the last days. The last days were since Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the earth. It's interesting, um, uh, Jesus, he starts off his ministry with Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me, uh, to, you know, is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. What's good news to the poor? You don't have to be poor anymore. Uh, blind eyes open, captives set free. And he says, um, and to preach the year of the acceptable year of the Lord. It's a picture of Jubilee. The very he's quoting Isaiah 61. The very next verse says, and the day of the vengeance of our God. He cuts the passage off. Why? Because it's not the day of the vengeance of our God. It's the year of the favor of our Lord. It says you're held in the grip of grace. You're reigning as kings in life. You've been made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him. How perfectly right with God is Jesus? 
That's how perfectly perfect you are. And the enemy is going to try to do everything to convince you otherwise. If these people knew who you were, they wouldn't be sitting next to you. I know what you did last summer. <laughs> what does this mean? It means that Satan has no more claim on me than he has on Jesus right now. The only thing the enemy has in you is deception. He's been disarmed and defeated. He's got no arms and no feet. I mean, come on. <laughs> He's got his mouth and he tries to whisper lies. You are as accepted as Jesus is now. He became as you were so you could become as he is. He who knew no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. It didn't just say you'd have the righteousness of God. You became the righteousness of God. I was going to keep going here. This is just, uh, this is good news. It means you can stand before the whole host of devils in darkness, you can, and you can say, because of the blood that Jesus shed for me, the prince of the world comes and he has nothing in me. I remember Jesus quoted that. The prince of the world comes. He's got no hooks in me. It means that God will heal you every time you heal. Ugh. It means God will hear you every time you pray. It means your prayers are as powerful as Jesus' prayers. You're like, Jim, I don't believe that. That's why it's not working. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to understand your righteousness. <clears throat> Jesus did not do the things he did as God showing off. He never stopped being God, but it said he set aside his divinity. He laid aside those divine prerogatives in Philippians 2. It said he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and made himself a servant, made himself a man. I want you guys to get this. Jesus operated as a man in right relationship with God, completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So here's the thing. We have that same relationship with God now. So how, willing, how dependent on the Holy Spirit are you willing to be? What's the difference between Jesus' life and my life? Um, me recognizing my righteousness and me just simply depending on him. See, in, a, <clears throat> in the earth system, here's what happens is we do a job, we perform well, and then we get rewarded with a paycheck or a raise or like, right? We perform well and we get rewarded. <clears throat> what happens is we take this into the, into the kingdom realm. And so, we, you know, we, we, here's the thing. In the kingdom realm, Jesus performed well, and we get rewarded based on that when we believe it. It means when you sin, you know that God does not get angry with you and leave you. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Quit singing that old covenant junk. That was David singing under the old covenant. What did Jesus take on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so you would never have to feel it. When I fall flat on my face, there's one thing I know. I'm still accepted by God and he loves me. That's the whole basis why I can come to him. Repentance is not you groveling, I'm such a horrible worm. Repentance is you coming to God and saying, God, I blow it, but I thank you that your blood covers me. I thank you that absolutely nothing has changed. God, uh, his fierce wrath does not heat up against you when you're bad, and his fierce love warm up to you when you're good. He is love. It's always on full blast. 
I'm not saying you don't deal with your failure. I'm not downplaying that. I confess my sins. Yep, but what's the platform? Because he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I can come to him because nothing's changed. So, Jim, are you just saying go off and sin and do whatever you want? No, that's stupid. Sin does not change the way God feels about you, but it will change the way you feel about God. It deceives you, and you're going to get out your fig leaves and want to hide in shame. And as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, the God say, where's those stupid people? Do you know you just brought sin into the whole planet? All creation's groaning now? No, no. Uh, it's interesting. The first words of God after Adam and Eve sinned, he says, where are you? Where's my friends? We've been walking together in the cool of the day. I'm, I'm... He says, you know, let's get a covering for you. Let's get these animals, make some animal skin so they could be covered by the blood so they could be in relationship with again. See, every other religion, all their sacrifices were to appease an angry God. But God's the one who brought them sacrifices. He says, listen, I'm holy. I can't just wink at sin and act like nothing's wrong. But he says, I love you so much, I'll provide the sacrifice. It's like, God's the one who brought them the sacrifices so they could still have relationship. This is why idolatry in the Old Testament was such a big deal. Because they stopped, see the sacrifices, God's like, I'm not after blood of bulls and goats. He's like, you know, that's not what I'm after. But the blood reminded him that one day his son would come. So God, he demanded the sacrifice out of his holiness, but he provided the sacrifice of his son out of his love. It's amazing. <clears throat> Sin does not change your relationship with God. It changes your relationship with the devil. Romans 6, 16 says you become a slave to whomever you obey. God will still love you even in your bondage. He paid for you to get out of the bondage, but I want you to see nothing has changed between you and God. You know what unconditional love means? He loves you regardless of your condition. (laughs) On your best day, on your worst day, it's still on full blast. It's the grace of God that teaches you to say no to sin. God, it's encountering his goodness and having a revelation of your righteousness that you receive this abundance of grace. The woman who, or Jesus said, go and sin no more, what, he, didn't, he didn't just start with that. He led with, woman, where's your accusers? <laughs> she encountered the person of grace, which empowered her to go and sin no more. Now listen to this lady, she, she had a messed up life, but I'm sure after she encountered grace, she wasn't like, oh sweet, I can go hop in bed with three more guys. No one after taking a shower is tempted to slip back into a poopy diaper. <laughs> Anyone who's encountering the goodness of God, they're not going to want to sin anymore. Anyone who's saying, oh, I'm under grace and so I can sin, that's not grace, that's grease. It's dirty and it'll leave a stain. It's a counterfeit. Well, my boys, when they were uh, smaller, they're, they're men now. Two of them have beards. I can't even grow a beard. I'm like, how did you guys get these beards? I'm not going to say it's from their mother. That's definitely not true. So, that's definitely not true. Remember when they were smaller, you know, they would, they would blow it and they would, you know, they would feel shame, you know, and they would, they would put on their fig leaves and they, they would begin to hide. And um, uh, we did this thing we would call hug it out. And so instead of like yelling at them and making them feel worse and adding shame on top of their guilt already, you know, uh, we would come and we would put our arms around them and we would begin to remind them of who they were. 
I read this thing. It was, it was some weird business book. It was about how to write business plans. In the middle of this business book, it was only like, like 80 pages, they had this story of this tribe. And the tri- it was a true story. And it was uh, uh, this tribal chief, his son had uh, gone and stolen something from a foreign tribe. So it just brought a whole bunch of shame. So they, they have a circle of 12 elders and and, uh, with a son right in, in the middle. And the first elder said, I remember when you were seven years old and you went and killed your first deer. We knew that you were a boy of great courage. And they would begin to go around and recount stories of who this kid really was, never mentioning the sin. And by the time they got done, the kid was, uh, was sorrowful. He was repentant, went and made, a, made amends with the thing. Well, how did they do it? By calling out the gold. Before Paul ever corrects anybody in his letters, he takes half the book and uh, just reminds them who you are. Hey, because of Jesus, because of Jesus. So, guys, we're always going to act out of how we see ourselves. If you see yourself as a sinner saved by grace, you're, um, if you see yourself as a sinner, that you, listen, you were a sinner, but you've been saved by grace, and now you're a saint. You're no longer, I'm just a sinner, we're just forgiven. You're going you're to sin by faith because you see yourself as a sinner. I'm just a sinner. No, I'm a saint who sometimes forget who I am, but I'm growing and becoming more of who I am. Uh, what I'm doing here is I'm reminding you of your righteousness. I'm telling you of how delighted the Father is in you. <clears throat> Instead of going around the campfire and reminding you of how horrible you are, I'm telling you what's true about you, whether you feel it or not. The Holy Spirit will convict you of your sin. No, 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 it actually doesn't say that. It says in John 16, 8, the Holy Spirit is sent to convict you of your righteousness. You believe you're righteous, your behavior will take care of itself. You will never be in a better standing with God even 1,000 years from now, burning in his glory for all of eternity. You're not going to be any more right with him than you are right now. Might have a different body, but uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. You will never be more highly favored than you are right now. You will never be more worthy to receive the blessings of God than you are right now. You will not be more righteous in the eyes of God than the moment you were born again and he declared you righteous. But for that to show up, it's got to show up in my thoughts and then my actions will take care of themselves. So the enemy comes and uh, condemns you and reminds you of your past. Reminds you of all the ways you're falling short. Tells you that God is distanced, your prayers aren't working. What are you supposed to do? It says put on the breastplate of Let's figure out to get this thing on and say, hold on, hold on, hold on. God is not dealing with me based on my behavior. He's dealing with me based on Jesus' behavior. Guys, you got two paths. You're going to do the self-righteousness path. You better be perfect. Or you can say, I am pushing all my chips to the center of the table and betting it all on God. Son righteousness. And the enemy's going to come and say, oh, you only, you only prayed 10 minutes today. You should have prayed an hour. Oh, you only prayed an hour. You should have prayed two hours. Self-righteousness, not playing that game. I'm not putting my, uh, my emphasis in the fact that, Kurt, I need to pray today. I need to fast. I, I, I. Faith looks at Jesus. Faith doesn't look at your own performance. What's the biblical definition of faith? Um, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Stay fascinated with Jesus. That's where all the good stuff is going to happen. Jesus got what you deserved so you could get what he deserved. Self-righteousness, I have to behave. Son-righteousness, I have to believe. Jesus did the achieving 
I do the believing and receiving. When I try to do the achieving, that's deceiving. Wiki, wiki. <laughs> the trap is I am born again by completely trusting in Jesus on the cross, but then it's up to me to get on God's good side. Then I got to shift into the performance plan. I got to pray more. I got to do this a little more. No, no, no. What's the Amazing Grace song? Was grace that brought me safe thus far, well, grace will bring me home. The way that you got into the kingdom, I heard good news and believed it, is the way that you advance in the kingdom. I keep hearing good news, and I believe it. My wife and I, when uh, the kids were small, we used to give them money based on their report cards. And so they'd get all A's, they'd get a certain amount of money. And so uh, a lot of Christians, we think that God is doing that. We're bringing him our report card so that he can reward us. Old covenant and the new covenant, we're bringing him Jesus's report card and we're being rewarded. If you ever come to God with a boldness because you've had a good week in the Lord, you've had some good prayer time, you prayed in tongues in the car, you're headed for depression because your confidence and your boldness is in what you have done instead of what he has done. The law says this, I will carry my end and I will bless you if you carry your end. But if you fail, I will curse you. Everybody say boo. boo. That's pretty much the whole coming along. But God said, you know what? That arrangement with man is obsolete. He said, I've got a new arrangement. Here's the new covenant. You ready for this? God says, I will carry my end and then I will come and carry your end and I will treat you as if you carried your end yourself. Jim, can you say that one again? <clears throat> I will, just because you asked so nicely. The law says, I will carry my end, and I will bless you if you carry your end. But if you fail, I will curse you. Boo. The new covenant says this. I will carry, God says, I will carry my end, and then I will come and carry your end, and I will treat you as if you carried your end yourself. What's God saying? I'm not going to bless you on the basis of your performance. I'm going to bless you on the basis of Jesus' performance. That's the grace. That's the gospel. That's the new covenant. In the Old Testament, when somebody sinned, they brought a lamb to the priest. The priest inspected the lamb to make sure it was absolutely perfect. He never inspected the person. I want you guys to get this. When you're coming to God, he's not inspecting you to see if you are worthy to receive the blessing. He's inspecting the lamb. I will. <laughs> Is this good news to anybody here? Yeah. Under the old covenant, when somebody sinned, they brought a lamb for a sin offering. And the priest inspected the lamb to make sure it was absolutely perfect. He never inspected the person. Under the new covenant, when we come to God... We are, God is not inspecting us to see if we are worthy to receive. He's inspecting his son, and he was perfect. One of my favorite passages is Psalm 23 in the Passion Translation. He is my delicious feast. He is my delicious feast. One of the offerings, uh, I'm, I'm circling in for landing for those time sensitive. And by the way, your kids are way better than the kids in our church. <laughs> Our church is like Wild Banshee Academy. It's like, what is happening here? Anyway. Anyway. 
Oh, what was I going to say? I had a, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I got it now. Just uh, two more illustrations, and then we're going to uh, encounter activation. So, um, how would you guys like to encounter God today? Doesn't that sound like a good idea? Yeah, that's, that's better than anything I'm saying. All right, here we go. I'm, I'm just trying to lead you to Jesus. So under the old covenant, they, uh, remember all the, the I'm, I'm doing a series on Leviticus. That's why I keep going back to Leviticus right now. So it's not like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so remember there's those five offerings of Leviticus. There's the burnt offering. There's the grain offering. There's the peace offering. There's the sin offering. There's the guilt offering. Each one pictures a different aspect of Christ. We're talking about he is my delicious feast. And so under the peace offering, you came because you have peace with God and you just want to spend time with him. And so it's kind of like God's eating part of the meal and you're eating part of the meal. But here's one, one interesting thing. So they would take the animal and uh, they would take the breast of the animal. And so the, usually the priest did everything for you, the representative. But this one's a little bit different. I want you guys to get this picture. So picture they got like a, a lamb. They would take the breast of the lamb and the priest would place it in your hands. And then he would put his hands on yours and they would do a wave offering. They would wave it back and forth. Here's the picture. Uh, what does the, the, the breast represent? It represents the love and affection of God. It represents, and he's saying, from the beginning of my life to the end of my life, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, from everlasting to everlasting, your love and affection will be over me. And then they would feast on that. And then they would do a heave offering. They would take the leg of the animals, representing the strength, and they would hoist it up and down, and they would begin to praise God for his strength. And so here, here's the picture. Um, over my life is your strength and your power. The, the government will be upon your shoulders and it will increase. That the, the kingdom of God is over my life and I'm bringing it down here. And so as they would uh, feast on the affection of God and feast on the power of God, they're making the sign of the cross. Horizontal and vertical. What are we to do? We're to feast on the love and affection of Jesus for us. We're to feast on his power over our lives. And Psalm 23 says, he is my delicious feast. I'm going to close with this story. We, um, when I was a little boy, my dad had this top drawer of his dresser that just absolutely fascinated me. I don't know what it was about this thing. He had this little basket in there about this big, and uh, he had these treasures in there that were just too much for me to bear. He had these things in there that uh, he had like cufflinks. He had currencies from other countries. He did a lot of traveling. He had like this little sewing kit they used to give out in hotels with like these different color threads and like a little divot repair kit for, uh, for like a golf course. I remember one time dad went on a trip and I was in there just, you know, lusting over all of his treasures and um, I stole some of them. I went and I put them in my uh, desk drawer. And so dad comes home one time and he's tucking me in. Hold on. There we go. All right. <laughs> it's feeling more like home now. That's good. That's good. So dad comes home and he's tucking me in and uh, for some reason he goes over to my desk drawer and he opens it up and he sees some of his treasures in there. And he's like, Jim, what's going on here? And I was like, you know, father, forgive me for I have sinned, you know, and, and uh, I'm like, dad, I'm so sorry. And he says, he says, I understand. And so he says, come on, come with me. He takes me by the hand and walks me into his bedroom and I think he's going to get his belt. I think, uh, you know, there's about to be some justice imparted to my rear end. <laughs> Dad did something that uh, absolutely changed my life and changed the way I view the Father. He opens up his top drawer, and he said, Son, everything that I have belongs to you. What else do you want? He didn't teach me about justice. He taught me about grace. He taught me about what, dad, what the Father's like. So my dad heard me tell that story in a sermon. And uh, two Christmases ago, I get a, um, a treasure chest 
I open it up. <laughs> it's got some cufflinks in it. It's got some currency from other countries. I forgot a tie clip was one of the things you got. There was a tie clip in there. There's some sewing kits, a little divot repair kit. And so I got, a, I got a shelf in my closet where I get ready every morning, and it sits right about eye height. I got this treasure. And every single morning, I get to feast on the love that the Father has for me. That even though I deserved a spanking, he gave me the desires of my hearts instead. That's grace. That's our Jesus. And that's your inheritance the moment you said, thank you, Jesus. Faith looks all like this. Thank you, Jesus. I'll take that for me. Faith isn't trying to believe and work it up. Faith is our reflexive response when we see Jesus and we say, oh, that's amazing. Isn't it interesting? Remember the prodigal son? You know, he didn't go and kick him in the butt and you filthy mess. You smell like a pig. Pigs are unclean. You're unclean. No, no. It says he, he embraced him in all his filth. And it says he, I love the King James, it says he fell on his neck. It's a picture of a bear hug. And if you look in the margin of your Bible, it says he smothered him with kisses. And he takes him in. And it's interesting. He's told the servant, go bring me the robe. Isn't it interesting? Why didn't he just walk in and put on the robe? You ever thought about that? Why did he bring the robe? Because the dad didn't want all the servants to see his son in that emaciated condition. When he walked in the house, he wanted him to look like his father. It's one of the pictures in the Bible is you've been robed in righteousness so you look like your dad. How we doing? Okay, can I lead you guys in a little encounter? And then we'll uh, call today and see if we can beat the Baptist to lunch here. So. Hey, it doesn't have to all be spiritual, okay? <laughs> Let me just give you a little backstory on this one. So <clears throat> we did this, uh, I don't know how long I want to tell this. We did this um, cancer-free Sunday uh, one, one time at church. And so, you know, I, I preached this bold message, Jesus is amazing and all this stuff. And then uh, I stepped down, and we got a line of people with cancer, and I started getting performance anxiety. I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, what if nothing happens? You know, I just made all these bold, you know. What am I doing? I'm putting my eyes on myself. Faith doesn't do that. So this first guy's got uh, five large tumors coming off of his chest. Praying nothing happened. I'm going to touch that tumor. My faith ran out the door. It's like, oh, God, it's a tumor. Oh, it's huge. I can see it, you know. And... Um, I mean, you know, sometimes that's just how it is. I'm not, you know, it's just, I'm just being real here. I wish I'd be like, and then, you know, and snap and it's leaving, you know. No. And so my faith runs out the door, and, I, and uh, I decide to do something interesting. I decide to ask God what he wants to do. <laughs> um, if you take nothing else away, that's, that's a good idea. <laughs> Instead of just kind of using your own little formula and your own authority and all this stuff. And so, um, so the Lord takes me in this memory. So, you know, God, you know, a lot can happen in your mind quickly. Uh, in just a few seconds, right? So I'm going to tell it longer, but it was just a few seconds. He takes me back in this memory. And the memory was from the previous summer. There's a lady who came to our church in a wheelchair. She was Catholic. She'd never been in a Protestant church before. And as I'm talking to her, I just feel like the Lord says, you're carrying some, she's carrying something she doesn't need to carry. And so I said, hey, I feel like you're carrying something. She says, what is it? I said, I don't know. Let's ask the Lord. And so she goes, she, she shuts her eyes. She says, Holy Spirit, what am I carrying that I, you don't want me to carry? And she goes, oh, she says, unforgiveness. She kept gasping like this. She was just super precious. And um, she said, what do I do with it? And uh, I said, I want you to look at me. I said, um, when you're holding on to something, you can't receive anything. I said, so God's going to ask you to let go of that one thing so you can receive something instead. Remember Isaiah 61, he gives beauty instead 
of ashes. God doesn't just take away the negative. He breaks off a piece of his life and gives you himself. Okay, and I said, so she says, well, what does he want to give me instead? I said, I don't know. Let's ask him. And so um, she goes, oh, I see a field of flowers. What's it mean? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, let's ask, the, let's ask the Holy Spirit. And she goes, Holy Spirit, what's it mean? <gasps> I mean, she's so cute. And, uh, and she says, I see the Father taking me by the hand, and he's walking me back into innocence. I says, okay. I said, remember. I said, let go of that one thing to t- take hold of the other one. And so she closes her eyes, and so she, um, and I just, the Lord did this exchange. I just, I mean, I didn't see anything physically, but in my mind's eye, I could just see just this beautiful exchange. She wheels up to our ministry teams, and three minutes later, she was out of the wheelchair. And the doctors, I, I don't want to exaggerate this, but I believe she hadn't walked in three years, and uh, they said she'd never walk again. And so I had my back. I didn't even know what was going on, but then I heard screaming, and I was like, what's going on? And she walks by me, she says, my husband's never going to believe this. Just <laughs> walks her wheelchair out, packs it up herself. I'm like, what is happening here? Okay, so cancer-free Sunday. Boom, that all goes through my mind. Praying nothing happens. Praying nothing happens. I said, uh, I had a Phineas and Ferb moment. I know what I'm going to do today. <clears throat> it's a cartoon. And so um, you can see how I spend my life. All right. So between that and Dragon Ball Z, it's amazing I get anything done. Come on. Come on. About to go Super Saiyan. All right. We got some nerds here I can see. <laughs> and I, I, I is one of them. All right. So praying nothing happens, praying nothing happens. And uh, the Lord reminds me of that. And so I said, I know what I do. I said, so I took, I took everyone through this exchange that I'm about to take you through. And after I did that, um, boom, the tumor right under my hand. And we had our ministry team. I believe I don't, you know, just Ananias and Sapphira exaggerated and it didn't work out so well for them. So I'm, I'm always careful in telling these things, okay? Like the, a true testimony doesn't need embellishment. But I, I want to say that there was 12 people there and nine of them had visible tumors and all of them left. The other three people, they didn't have them, on, you know, that were visible, but th- in this exchange. And so we're, gonna, we're about to do this. And so here's, um, here's what it looks like. So <clears throat> you, you kind of heard it, a lot of it there. And so how it came to me was my, in real life, my sister passed away in May 2009. She died of breast cancer. We did, we did everything we could. You know, there's no shame in giving it your best shot and falling short. The shame is when you begin to point and say, God, you took my sister. Steal, kill, and destroy is someone else's job description. Don't ever confuse it. Just because people experience God in the midst of a tragedy doesn't mean he's the author of the tragedy. He's just that good. Okay? And so, so, she, and so in real life, she passed away. And in real life, um, my cousin passed away. And uh, I, I did both funerals. And so in the dream, I'm sitting there uh, grieving the loss of my sister. And my cousin Heather, whose sister Jane had passed away, is next to me. And we're both grieving. And I woke up, and I had this, the only way I can describe it is a demonic, toxic grief. It was just like almost suffocating, and my flesh wanted to partner with it. It would have felt good to just revel in that sorrow. I'm not sure if you've ever had a loss like that, but that's the only way I can explain it. It was just, it was like this demonic thing, and it almost felt good to just stay in that horrible spot. And I'm sitting there, I'm I'm waking up, and this thing is on me, and I'm kind of just like, God. All I could even think was just like, God. And he reminded me of Isaiah 61, and it says, um, he will give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. 
And that, that word instead stuck out to me. And so here's, I think I've already given you the picture here, but it's like I released that grief to him and he gave me a joy that I've never had to question anything like that again. So here's what I wanna do is I wanna just take you through that exercise. We're gonna ask, I'm gonna have you shut your eyes and take out your wallets. I'm kidding about that, it's just terrible. It's, it's a terrible joke. It's, it's, it's very immature, but I'm still in process, okay? Here's what I want you to do. We're going to close your eyes and just, uh, you're going to ask the Holy Spirit this. Holy Spirit, um, what am I carrying that you don't want me to carry? And, and just so you know, we've had people who have like, been like sexually abused get set free in seconds instead of years on this, okay? So just whatever it is, but whatever the God highlights. So just take a moment. Holy Spirit, what am I carrying that you don't want me to carry and see what he brings to mind? Second question, Holy Spirit, what do you want to give me instead? Okay, look at me for one second. Remember, you're going to have to let go of that one thing in order to receive the thing he wants to give you instead. So just between you and the Lord, just let him do that exchange. Take it by faith. Whatever he's offering you, God, I'm letting go of this thing, and I'm receiving this by faith. Just let him do that. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you paid for everything and you didn't leave anything out. Lord, I thank you that because of the cross, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have a perfect relationship with you. We will never experience your wrath. You hear our prayers. We can boldly come into your presence. You're amazing. And so, Lord, we just thank you for grace that we get what Jesus deserved because he took what we deserved. He stood for us. So I bless each person in here with an increased revelation of righteousness. It says, guys, the righteous are as bold as a lion. You can see why, because they're right with God. I bless uh, these people to be the most dangerous people in the region. Lord, I thank you that you're raising up a terrorist training camp to destroy the works of the devil. Lord, I thank you that you made them bright, light, and strong salt. I bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.